0: I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And to set up our passage today, I wanted to to, to prepare your hearts and minds for what the Lord is doing when we get to Luke chapter 2. When the Lord wants to position his people to accomplish his purpose and his plans, he, he will use any means necessary. And it's absolutely miraculous. It's amazing to watch how the Lord moves his people through different circumstances through good times and bad times, through sunny days and cloudy days, feast or famine, the Lord will use whatever it takes to get, even if it's one person in the right place to do his work. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter nine, we see that Saul uh, is confronted with a problem in his family. His father's donkeys had run off. And that was a, a big deal in the ancient world they provided the, the 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 horsepower so to speak for the fields they they tilled the fields they provide the strength to to move wagons it'd be like your your john deere tractor wandering off on you or someone taking it and so god uses this situation where the two donkeys wander off to get Saul to go look for them well, what a terrible inconvenience what a pain Saul has to stop his work. He's got to take some time off work and he's got to grab a servant. We find out he goes for three days searching for the donkeys in the wilderness. But what's happening is the Lord uses the missing donkeys to position Saul at the feet of Samuel who will anoint him as king. And it wasn't for the headache of the missing donkeys, Saul would have never found himself right at the footsteps of Samuel. I want you to hear how sovereign and providential God's rule is in the lives of his people, in all people. In 1 Samuel 9, 15 through 16, we read, "'Now the day before Saul came, "'the Lord had revealed to Samuel, "'Tomorrow, about this time, "'I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, "'and you shall anoint him to be the prince "'over my people,' Israel, he shall save my people from the hand, of the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because of their cry has come before me. The Lord was sending Sam, Saul to Samuel. The Lord was sending Samuel and uh, uh, Samuel was going to receive Saul. And he told him when he will arrive. He said, even this time tomorrow. God knew exactly when the, the missing donkeys, the search for them would position Saul before Samuel. Saul had to miss his donkeys in an inconvenient, disruptive time from his day-to-day schedule. And what we learn from that, friends, is a principle that we're about to find in our scripture today, is that God will use an inconvenient disruption in your life to position you to where he wants you to be. First Samuel is one example. Another example is in the book of Ruth. Do you know that book? We should know it. In the book of Ruth, there was a famine in the land. The whole nation suffered from a famine. And so because there was a famine in the land, Naomi and her husband and her two sons had to travel to a foreign land to go to Moab to seek food. And while they're there, her her two single sons uh, find Moabite women. They marry them. The, The husband dies. The two sons die. And 10 years pass. And Naomi brings Ruth back with her to Bethlehem where she meets Boaz. And they, they marry, and they have a son together. And in Ruth fourteen seventeen we read, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. When it looked just like uh, all hopes were gone for the lineage of Christ to, to continue, the Lord Jesus himself orchestrated a, through a sovereignty, a famine, to move Naomi and Ruth to meet so they could come back and meet Boaz and continue the line of David Ruth would go on to be David's great-grandmother. Ruth was the, in the lineage of Christ, a Moabite woman, which is absolutely miraculous. And my question for you as friends is, can you relate with an inconvenient disruption in your life? Maybe you're going through it now, or maybe you just came through an inconvenient disruption. And you're wondering, Lord, what is going on? What is happening here? Everything seemed to be going well in my life and then all of a sudden things are turned over. What is the Lord doing in your life during that time? We see right here what he does with Mary and Joseph. He interrupts their their time and their day with a, with a, a very serious situation. And you never know friends, how God will use the disruptions in your life for his purposes and for his glory. We find ourselves at Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 this morning. And we're, I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll come back and walk through it verse by verse. Why? Because that's what God's people need. We need to hear the word of God verse by verse. Verse 1 says, In those days a, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Quirinius, the gov- who was governor of Syria... This would be all of Judea, encompassing it. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. This passage starts out, we're told, in those days, at this time, at this point in history, a decree went out. This word decree in the Greek, it's the word dogma. That means a statute, a law, an order given by the officials it was not uncommon for caesar to give decrees he gave them all the time the roman government occupied uh, israel certainly jerusalem and the jews hated it but they had to do whatever the roman government said because if you disobeyed the roman government you could suffer the penalty of death to violate roman law could mean any sort of punishment this dogma went out the scripture here tells us who the person was who sent the dogma It was from caesar augustus let me tell you for just a moment a little bit about caesar augustus caesar augustus was born gaius uh, octavius that sounds like a villain in spider-man doesn't it octavius uh, would later change his name to augustus and i'll tell you what that means in just a moment augustus was the first roman emperor he reigned over 40 years from 27 bc to a.d 14 when he died Julius Caesar had no living descendants, so he had no living legal descendants, so he adopted his great-nephew, Octavius. And you know Julius Caesar's fate on that Ides of March when he was murdered. Julius's property, his, his, everything he owned, two-thirds of his money, his title, it all went to his 19-year-old grand-nephew. Some time would pass before Octavius would become the leader of Rome, but he eventually will. And for the first 20 years, we're told was a remarkable time in Roman history. It brought about the Pax Romana, a great peaceful time for the people. The world, their known world, was dominated by Rome and Roman soldiers. He gradually added several titles. Princeps, which means the first one. He called himself the first one in all creation. And another way to translate that title is to say above all. Can you see where this is going? This is not looking good. Not only did uh, Octavius change his name, to, uh, title to that, but he changed it all to Pontifex, which means highly priest. He declared before the people that he is above all. He is the highly priest. And as if that wasn't enough, he eventually changed his name to the title Augustus, which means supreme ruler. That means there is no more authority, there's no higher power than Caesar Augustus himself, and Caesar is just a title, like king or emperor or president. This is what was going on in that day, and as if that wasn't enough, Caesar declared himself a god, the people accepted it and they worshipped him. And here we have this law has gone forth in the occupied world. The law here we're told is this, the scripture tells us, that all the world, this would be their known world, the, the Roman occupied world, should be registered. Well, what does that mean? It means world domination is expensive. And registration was a, a purpose of seeing how many people should be paying taxes. It was all about acquiring more money from the people as if they weren't taking enough from the people. There would be a census taken in the the Roman Empire. Verse two tells us this would be the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. We're told history shows there was a registration every 14 years, so that the people could be numbered, so that Caesar could know how many people should be paying taxes. Luke gives us a beautiful picture here, the landscape that's taking place around the time of the birth of Christ. To register at this time would require that you go to the the city from which you came. You can't just go on your iPhone and click on an app to be registered. Or to go to the DMV or post office, you must return to the city from which you came. How far would that be for you? Some of you were probably born in Raleigh, but I know some of you were born in different parts of the world. You would be required to go back to where you came. Verse 3 tells us, and all went to be registered east to his own town. Now you have to think about this for a moment. This is gonna be incredibly expensive. This is not a vacation, it's a, it's a forced business trip by the government that you have to pay for, they're not paying for for you. You have to pay for your lodging, your food, all the expenses that come along the way, taking time off work, it's a painful journey, you're gonna suffer loss in some way. And things go from bad to worse when you're traveling with your girlfriend who's a teenager and she's pregnant and she's carrying the son of God how about that pressure Matthew 1 tells us a little bit more detail that there appears to be some sort of ceremony before they left a ceremony that would have been uh, make Mary's legal wife but they weren't officially married and acted as married couple until after Jesus was born and here we're told that uh, perhaps Joseph did that to protect Mary from public shaming we don't know maybe it was part of the census but now we come to verse four and joseph also went up from galilee from the town of nazareth to judea to the city of david which is called bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of david this is why joseph had to go to bethlehem he's from a city called beth uh, the city of bethlehem means house of bread isn't that amazing that our lord and savior who is the bread of life would be from the house of bread i don't think that's a coincidence so the government is forcing its citizens to travel costs inconvenient distances to register to pay taxes and all of this is compounded even more by verse five joseph's trouble increase and in mary's as well verse five tells us to be registered with with Mary, his betrothed, with, uh, who was with the child. The government doesn't care that it's requiring a nine-month pregnant woman to travel such great distance. This is mandatory, this painful journey. They couldn't take an Uber or a commuter flight. There were no subway systems or, or comfortable uh, carriage rides by horse. They either traveled on foot or more than likely they traveled on a donkey. Imagine being nine months pregnant, traveling about 90 miles for perhaps four days, bumping up and down on a donkey. I wouldn't want to ride a donkey 90 feet, let alone 90 miles. This would have been incredibly uncomfortable. We don't know the time of year that this actually took place. If it was the summer, then there would have been incredible heat. If it was the winter, we know that there could be snow in this part of the world in the winter. This could be extreme conditions. The doctors tell women today that you probably shouldn't travel on an airplane if you're expecting to be on a certain point because it might be dangerous. Imagine traveling on a doggy. Verse six tells us this. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the end, Mary was removed from her family. A teenage girl about to give birth for the very first time is removed from her support group. She's on the road with her fiancé, the one she's about to marry. We see here that God is going to use this situation for his glory. And the Old Testament prophet Micah told us God told us through Micah where the baby would be born. In Micah 5, 3, we read this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, this is the ancient name of Bethlehem, meaning fruitful. There was the earlier, this was the earlier name, uh, which you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth one who will be the ruler of Israel his coming forth is of old from ancient days now i've got a question to ask mary and joseph my question for mary and joseph is this if they knew that they were carrying the son of god because the angel gabriel told them that they were they accepted it as truth mary praised god gabriel appears to joseph in a dream and affirms that And if they knew Micah had said that the baby would be born in Bethlehem, then why were they not already in Bethlehem? My question for them is Mary and Joseph, were your bags packed? Were you ready for this trip? You're on a four day journey, you come to full term with your baby and you haven't left yet. Were you doubting? What were you thinking? This is no judgment, I'm just wondering. Were their bags packed? Were they ready for the coming of Christ to be where he's supposed to be? Were they warming up their car, so to speak? My the second question is this. Is not even having known if you didn't know this story. And you knew that Micah had said the baby would be born in Bethlehem. It's, it's as good as done. And then you know that the baby just before he's born is in Galilee and Nazareth area, a 4 days journey. Then the next question is, how will God get the baby to Bethlehem to be born? What situation will he use to to circumvent, to to maneuver, to get Mary and Joseph to be where they're supposed to be? We see here he uses a pagan government. He uses a, a wicked emperor who thinks he's king. He thinks he's king of the earth and king of creation. He thinks he's God. God can use pagan leaders, friends, to do whatever he wants them to do to fulfill his promises to humanity and to his people. Proverbs 21, 1 states, the the, the king's heart is like a stream of water. In the hands of the Lord, he turns it wherever he will. Isn't it ironic that sitting back in Rome and in a palace is a man who considered himself the first above all. He considered himself the high priest, the supreme ruler. He considered himself God. And little did he know that being born in the little insignificant town of Bethlehem at that very time was the one who is above all. Jesus was being born. He is the high priest. He is the, the supreme ruler, the creator of all the seen and unseen. God is so powerful and ruling. He can use even these pagan governments to do exactly what he pleases. And then my third question for Mary and Joseph is this is as you went through your suffering and pain and this incredible interruption of an inconvenience in your life, of having to travel this journey, as you went through the uncomfortable movements of nine months on a donkey, did you ever stop to consider and did you know what, did you know that you know that this is God's plan for you, Mary Joseph? That this is what God has ordained and willed for your life, this painful journey to get you where he wants to be. I can only imagine the doubts that crept in their heart. Their doubts of, aren't we carrying God's son? How could it be such a bad time like this? Why are we having to do this journey at this particular moment? How, could they, how can I be without my family? Why can't this situation be better? This is God's son. Why, why wouldn't there be any room at an inn? She should be in uh, the palace having this baby in Rome. But instead, she's going to have this baby in a stable. And then my question has always been, how did Mary's water not break? Bouncing up and down on a, on a donkey for 90 miles. And as I've wondered that question for years, the only thing I can resolve is that if God can hold back the water of the Red Sea so that Israel can cross, then God can hold back Mary's water so she can cross Israel. That <laughs> God is so powerful, he can hold back mighty waters and little waters. He has a strong hand and a delicate hand. God is so good to his people. He protects them and preserves them. Friends, don't think for a second that just because you're going through troubled times that you're doing something wrong. Because Mary was doing everything right and she was going through a great time of suffering. And I've been in ministry for 20 years. and I've sat with people in my office and over coffee who think just because they're going through hard times, they're doing something that's not right. But the Lord teaches us in the book of Job that you could be doing everything right and you could be suffering and going through hard times. The government's rules were unfair and unjust, and God intended them for the purposes of his glory. She was blessed while she suffered. The angel, when he appeared to her, said, blessed are you, Mary. Have you ever considered that God's blessing for you is a season of suffering? Have you ever ever considered that a season of suffering is what God has best in mind for you? because I can't imagine what Mary and Joseph were going through and the Bible calls them blessed. You are blessed and you can suffer at the same time. In James chapter one, verse two, we're told this, count it all joy, my brothers, count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, you can be blessed by God and you could be told there is no room at the end at the very same time. If God the Father wanted Mary and Joseph to have the baby in, a, I don't want to say Caesar's palace, not the one in Vegas, but the one in Rome, that he would have had the baby be born in the palace. If he wanted to have the baby at home with their family, the baby would have been at home with their family. If the baby was supposed to be born in the end, God would have made room at the end. The reason there was no room in the end is because God had ordained there'd be no room at the end because that was not the place that God had planned for his son to be born Mary was denied as part of God's plan for her. Mary gave birth to her, her son and Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, and a place for animals. It's not uncommon for an inn to have a stable next to it from what historians say. Perhaps we don't know. This could have been a, a stable next to the inn. to be like a parking lot. You can be blessed and stay with the animals, friends. someone once said, and you should write this down. This is a great quote. I wish I remembered who said this. More often than not, the blessings from heaven are inconsistent with the pleasures of this world. The blessings from heaven are inconsistent with the, the, the pleasures of this world. And my question is for you as we pause and contemplate on this verse and this passage right here at this moment, is are you seeking the pleasures of this world or are you seeking the blessings from heaven? As you go through the difficult circumstances in your life, and I heard this years ago, and I have to be reminded of it, how are you praying, God, change my circumstances, but maybe God is using those circumstances to change you. And my prayer for me and my prayer for you this week is whatever circumstances you're going through, whether you're going through pleasure or whether you're going through pain, that we will be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. God God the Father, please use whatever circumstances we go through as your people to draw us closer to Christ. It may be God's greatest blessing for you at any given moment is to put you through pain and suffering because it's pain and suffering that will draw you closer to Christ because God knows that pleasure oftentimes won't do it. Pain will bring you and I to our knees. It draws us closer to his word and to his people and it ends up being a great blessing and something I was told years ago is don't waste your pain. Don't waste seasons of suffering. Count it all joy, brothers, when you go through difficult times. Because the worst that could happen is you go through these seasons of pain and you look back and say, I didn't grow a single inch with my Lord. I didn't spend any time with him and his word and fellowship with his people in prayer. Friends, how are you spending time when you go through pain? Do you seek the Lord? And here we see that they are blessed in their suffering. And the last question I have for you before we get to our application is this. Do you believe that the lie that success, comfort, and leisure are the only signs of blessing? Because that, that comes from a false gospel called the prosperity gospel. That's a lie. Prosperity, true prosperity is seeking Christ. True blessing is knowing him and being where he's called you to be, even in the midst of suffering. And I'm going to spare you the question this week. I'm going to give you a break and we'll say, what is the application for this day? How do we apply this to our lives? There's three ways you and I can apply this passage to our lives, friends. Number one is this, are your bags packed? Israel was not waiting with great anticipation for the arrival of the Christ. Are you living your life with great anticipation for the second coming of Christ? Here we celebrate the, the first Advent, but are, are you living your life in preparation of the next Advent when Jesus comes back for his people? Israel was not prepared. They were not anticipating. Are you participating in Jesus' return? Are you living a Jesus anticipation life every moment of the day? Are you prepared for him to come back today? Are you living a life that's glorifying and honoring to him? If he came back today and saw how you're living, would, be, would he be pleased with your living? Would he be pleased by the way you you talk with your your friends and family? Would he be pleased by your interaction with him in prayer or maybe your your lack of interaction with him? Would he be honored by the things you say when no one is looking? Hebrews 9:27 through 28 tells us this. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ Having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? He could come back today, and how will he find the state of your soul? Will your behavior and your attitudes and your language be glorifying and honoring to him? Or is there sin in your life? And I ask this of myself that I need to confess and you need to confess to get right with God today. Are you even in a relationship with him? Are your bags packed? Is your, is your car warming up as you prepare and wait for the coming of Christ? Maybe God has positioned you here today and you don't even know why you're here. You're watching online for no other reason than to hear this glorious gospel that Jesus Christ loves you, that God the Father loves you so much he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. That all you would have to do is believe that Jesus took your sins upon himself and you will be saved. Do you believe that today? Jesus rose from the dead. He died for you. He rose for you. He lives for you today. All for his glory. Number two, so what is this or application? That Christ controls Caesar. This should give us hope in all the situations of life. No matter who the Caesar is, Christ controls Caesar. It was an urgent decree, uncomfortable, expensive, dangerous, risky, painful, but it was all by God's design to get Mary where she needed to be to have the baby. To fulfill the prophecy that was spoken 700 years prior, God uses pagan kings for his purposes. We see it all throughout scripture. One popular situation is Nebuchadnezzar. If you haven't read through Daniel, you've got to read through Daniel to see how God uses Nebuchadnezzar in a great and mighty way third and final application today is is do you believe in the bread of life that jesus is the bread of life who's come for your salvation do you accept eternal life today or do you reject eternal life do you say jesus i do not want you in my life i don't need you i can do things on my own i can find my own way to heaven the bible says you will end up in hell friends. Jesus said in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. What way are you trying to find to the Father? There is only one, this Christmas, the greatest gift of all is not found under a tree but it's found on the tree of the cross. Have you accepted Christ? Have you received that free gift? What is preventing you right here, right now from surrendering your life to Christ and knowing him as your Lord and savior? it's ironic that we're talking about people being positioned today that wasn't uh, on purpose but there's two families that i love dearly and you love dearly that are going to be positioned or they are being positioned and i want to invite the first family up right now we're going to pray for both of them the summy family amanda and Shep. you can bring your kids up audrey and andrew i'm not going to look at either one of you but this family has been a part of uh, this family has been a part of the church family for over 12 years, and uh, Aaron and I were talking this week, and he told me, Charlie, there's no way to measure the hours that they have served. No, you come over here. <laughs> They're so humble, they just want to stand over there, but the Lord has used them in great ways. They are a ministry team, and they've served faithfully. Chip is uh, coming off his time of serving as an elder. He served as Sunday school teacher, and Amanda and Chip have both served in Awana leaders and Awana captains and children's ministry and youth, and they care very much about the next generation. They raised godly children, who I'm just very proud to have known in the past year, and Chip will be moving on. Uh, today you're moving, aren't you, tonight? And they've, uh, you probably embarrassed me to say this, but they sold their home and moved out of it recently, and they've been renting an Airbnb to be a part of Christ, uh, Christmas at Christ before they move. Well, the Summies will leave today to go to Florida where well, Chip will be working with Ligonier Ministries, which is an awesome ministry, to continue to change lives for Christ. We give them a big hand. <laughs> and now I wanna ask the Jacksons to come down. Aaron, Laura, Julia, where's Julia? Barnabas, they ran off. She went to get them. It could be you and Laura, or just you. Where's Laura? Here she comes. Laura's prettier than you, sorry. <laughs> Aaron has been here 14 years, and for what I told, he's came here as a single man. Well, in more ways than one, he's had a fruitful ministry. <laughs> and he said that this church helped raise him and shape him. This was his first time, uh, full, first full-time position in ministry. And it's really helped to catapult him for what the Lord has for him next. And for both of these families, we want nothing but success because they're part of our family. And when you succeed, we succeed. And we wanna be praying for you in your transition and stay in touch with this family because we love you. And I've had the pleasure of getting to know you this past year, it seems like a long time, but I wanna stay in touch. And this uh, Tuesday night, we'll be honoring the Jacksons for a great dinner. I hope you'll come back for that and have a few jokes. I think uh, Tom Brubanks will be a memory I'll never forget from our oldie e game of this, past, uh, this year. But Aaron was dressed up as a game show host, and he had a fake mustache, and every time he shook his head, half the mustache would fall off, and he couldn't have to fix it. That's a memory I can't get out of my head no matter how hard I try. But these families are loved, loved by you, and let's pray for them and send them off, and then we'll have Aaron lead us in one more time of worship. Father, thank you so much for the Summies and the Jacksons. Thank you that they are instruments in your hand. Father, I know them, I can say I know them well, having known them this past year, that they are very yielded to your Spirit's work in their life. Let their ministries continue to be fruitful. Bless their children, that their children would continue to be strong in the Lord. Bless their marriages. These transitions and movings can be very stressful, but help uh, this time as they transition, draw them closer to the Lord. Father, let everything they think, say, and do bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.